Inspired by the brains behind the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Built by the brawn of Daryl Morey and yours truly, Jessica Gelman. And generously brought to you by our partners at Oracle. Live from our work from home studios to yours, we proudly bring you Trash Talking, a podcast designed to debunk and demystify the use of analytics in sports. We'll point out the dangers of using trash data in decision making. And in true baller style, We'll serve it up with good old fashioned trash talking and invite some of our best and brightest friends in sports, business, media, and tech to join the conversation. And now at five foot eight from Kager, also known as Kraft Analytics Group and MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference co-founder, Jessica Gelman. Also weighing in at just over 200 pounds with a full beard from the Philadelphia 76ers and the other MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference co-founder, Daryl Morey. In our 10th episode, we're thrilled to welcome championship coach Don Staley. Don, one of the most impressive people in the sport of basketball, was the first person to win the Naismith Award as both player and coach. A star at the University of Virginia, Don wanted to have a prolific career as a professional player, both in Europe and the WNBA, where she's considered by fans to be one of the greatest players in league history. She also won three gold medals representing the United States Olympics and carried the flag at the Olympics. That had to be one of the biggest honors ever, Don, wasn't it? it? That That's so special. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was actually probably the the one thing that you don't in sports as an athlete you don't set a goal to do it, but when it happens, I think all the other goals set that up for you. So, yeah, I I, I was a queen for a day. I thought I was the queen when I walked <laughs> the stadium, um, leading our American contingent into the you know, to the uh, uh, opening ceremony. So that was one of those surreal moments. So not to date myself, but my honeymoon was watching you in the 96 Atlanta Olympics uh, (laughs) play for the United States. To date myself, I was at your gold medal game in in the 96 Olympics. I was going to be a senior uh, in college. And so you inspired so many people throughout your career, both both as a player, but I would say even more so today, uh, Don, I've admired your leadership for such a long time, but I think mo- the stuff that you are doing now is incredible. Um, you know, specifically this piece of the net, which I want to get into that you sent to all of the black coaches after you won a few years ago, canceling the BYU game due to the incident uh, during the Duke win- women's volleyball game, like using your platform to affect change and on top of that, be like the best coach in women's basketball it's uh, it's it's really awesome. So we're thrill- thrilled to hear how your days as a point guard have sculpted your coaching philosophy and how you gra- how you have gravitated towards analytics in basketball. And you know, I think one of these things as the one of the most elite women's players ever. How specifically you 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 know the stuff that Daryl is really championing in basketball basketball and has been what you take from that. So I guess I'll kick us off, Daryl. One of the things, Don, is that, you know, I actually played basketball at oh. a higher level than Daryl. <laughs> okay. So I always like to, I like to know how real students of the game, I'm not saying you're not a student of the game, but Don is a student of the game. So Don, what are your thoughts on how the game of basketball has evolved in the past 10 to 15 years due to analytics? And how have you had to evolve your coaching due to these changes? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I think every player has gotten better. Like the talent is so good. 
that they're almost cheat codes as players. So you have to figure out ways in which to gain an edge. And a lot of times coaches and organizations have used analytics to to kind of create an edge or even the, the playing field. Um, and I mean, everybody uses them. It depends on to, de- to what degree. I mean, we use a little bit of analytics, but we're not strictly by the analytical book meaning you know if you know like the mid and the mid-range jumper you know is obsolete now because all the analytics say take a three or, or layup um so person that's in charge of our an- analytics or actually the we we used a um a consultant that just gave us some statistics throughout last year when we won a national championship he would say things like you know he would give us we're we're two for 18 you know when we've taken you know 10 to 15 mid-range shots um we weren't a we weren't a, a high scoring offense we weren't a great three-point shooting team so we're probably were we were the an- anomaly when it comes to analytics because we did not look like if you looked at our stats if you look at our offensive stats, we were not what the normal national champion looked like. Like we shot 42% as a team. I mean, that's poor. <laughs> um, but we were the leading rebounder in the in the country. We could defend, you know. So, you know, but if we could have gotten a little bit better um, in transition, if we could have shot the three a little bit better, you know, barring just, you know, what happened in games, there wouldn't be an opponent that could stop us. But I, I couldn't tell our our starting two guards to just take out your mid-range shot, you know, step behind the three and shoot the three, because that was one of the ways she got off a little bit, one of the ways she created uh, confidence and, and be not even making a shot to be able to take that shot because that's the shot that she works on all the time. I mean, it's it's... For us, it's a it's a pretty good shot. Here's why: it's an expected shot. So if she's in any mid range, we expect her to take those shots. And what that does is our rebounders are like chomping at the bid to say, "Hey, the shot's going up. Let's go do our job. Let's go get a rebound and put back." Well, I, I think what you brought up an important thing, Don, which is the data really doesn't say don't take mid range shots. It. Mm-hmm. Because the data would say even more than that, you have to utilize your personnel to their best extent, which, you know, if you were to define coaching 101, right, that that's before data came into the game, anything like that. So like, and especially at the end of the game, that's where mid-range shots come into more, where you're down one, you don't need three, things like that. But I had a follow-up question to your answer because it was so interesting. What you said, it sounded like you created a lot of your advantage through rebounding, uh, obviously, defensive rebounding, every coach knows how important that is. But what is your get back versus offensive rebound philosophy that you had for the team? Yeah, well, we, we would we would actually game plan by oppo- opponent. Mm-hmm. Like if it wasn't an opponent that likes, like take for instance UConn, they get the ball out and they, they're pushing the ball up the floor and they really make you pay when you don't get back. Or you know, like, like for us, we like to... We like to probably sacrifice getting back to apply more pressure. So we're more like our point guard, you'll probably see throughout our season, she's more going towards that ball. We're not jamming or anything, but we 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 want to apply pressure. We're, we're, we're pretty good. We're pretty connected when it comes to, you know, if we're if we're at a disadvantage. So we preach get back, get back in practice. We do preach that. But in the games, 
uh, our players get like singularly focused on stopping the basketball as early as possible. And we usually don't get burnt that much because mm-hmm. we know where our, where our bread and butter is. It is on the defensive side of the ball. So we do a pretty good job at matching, getting back and matching up just as a whole that we really don't get burnt a whole lot when, you know, by offenses that push the ball at us or pass the ball up the floor or advance the ball up the floor. So you've taken multiple teams from their foundations to some of the most successful in NCAA history. What do you attribute that uh, to? I, I, I think we're just as a coaching staff, we're we're pretty good with people. You know, we obviously we know that there are they are talented. We try to very early on get them to connect with one another. And that's through, sometimes it's forced um, because a lot of times, you know, our, our players want to go out, go back and, you know, scroll through TikTok and Instagram. And <laughs> But we found that one, and we call it tricking them. We got to trick them. We, we trick them into thinking that they're doing it for some other reason besides building chemistry. Like sometimes I'll have them over my house. You know, I'm just flipping burgers. I know they're hungry. I know they want a free meal. So it's an opportunity for them to get together. And more times than not, they'll start doing things together, sparking up conversations that they would never do in their dorm. So we periodically do that. We we also periodically go to the to the experts. Like we go to people who are experts in team building, life skills. So there are little pockets of, of things that we do to bring our team together. And I mean, we found success in it because uh, th- this couple that we use, I mean, we've used them for the past probably 13 years at any given time in the season. And it becomes a cry fest. Like when we when they have our team for three hours, usually everyone ends up crying. Now, the coaches aren't in the room. It's just a player session. And when they report back to, to me, they're like they were vulnerable to each other. Like they, they give each other that space to be vulnerable and they find that they have a, a lot more in common than not. And and once you've created that, you know, it's in culture, is instant chemistry. And now it's just about wanting to win for your sister that, that's in front of you, beside you and behind you. And it's, we don't take that time to create those spaces. We would more than likely, and I don't know there, I don't know how much you guys doing the pros do that type of stuff, maybe through training camp and all of that. We try to do more. And yeah, that's one reason Doc did such a nice job bringing us to Charleston because it was both a lot of bonding time and a lot of history, as you might have heard, where, yes, yep. you know, I, you know, because we know our history books are messed up in the United States. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed by how little I knew about the history of Charleston prior to that. And I think for the players, too, which is why Doc did it, it was eye opening and really like they could bond over a shared history that, you know, a lot of them shared, obviously. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So. You know, Doc's one of the best at this, and I really appreciate that insight you gave into how you build that camaraderie. How about on the, if you don't mind my asking, how about on the recruiting side? We obviously a big part of college, uh, especially important everywhere, but I think in the NCAA maybe even more. What what kind of uh, what kind of uh, tips and tricks do you have there? That because I think that's one of your big areas of success as well. I mean, it is we we are inclusive. Like we, you know, I know sometimes that that a lot of coaches don't want to include parents, but only during the recruiting process that we try to get to know all the parents and all the significant people that touch 
you know, our, our prospects' lives, we include them, like during the recruiting process. And then if we deliver them, if we actually get the commitment and they come, we continue to include them in this journey. And you can't exclude them because they're the biggest voices in their heads. Like their friends, their parents, if something goes on, that's who they're going to. And I like for our coaching staff, me to have the biggest voices in their heads because there's a lot of distraction. So if, if I if they're not coming to me when they have issues and they're going to their parents and their friends, if I have a relationship with the parents and friends, we ultimately share in wanting them to be successful. So we open that lines of communication. Yup, come on to practice. Come watch. You know, come see what we're doing. Come see how your you know your your vested interest is doing um, in practices. Let's talk about it um, because ultimately. We, we all want the same things. And I, I, I do try to tell our players, like, some of the people that you have in your life have never been successful in basketball. They may have had some success in some other arenas and areas and professions, and they may not even have been successful in any of it. So let's bring them on board. Let us include them. Let us talk about what vision they have for, 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 for you. Let's talk about what vision we have for you as coaches and, and what vision your parents have. And we all have to put that, we got to table it. We got to discuss it. And then we have to figure out what's the best way for all of us to coexist. No, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, you this philosophy on recruiting, uh, I'm guessing, was learned by many of the coaches that you've had or people that you've coached with. Not really. Who do you think? Not really. Really? Yeah. Ooh, that's so fascinating. So what for from your perspective, where where did it kind of generate from your own experiences as a player? Well, I mean, I'm I'm starting my twenty third year and honestly it, it comes from it comes from protecting my peace. Like really, I, I will do anything to protect my peace. And my, 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 my peace is to make sure that our players' lives are lean. Like we don't we don't deal in the fat. We just like, hey, this is how feel works best for us. Um, and that's that is to be inclusive. Like I know pro- probably the coaches that I I've been coached by, they're not including the parents. They don't have parent Zoom meetings, monthly meetings. They're not including their friends or their posses in the equation. And I'm, I'm different. I'm like, the more the merrier. Cause I want, again, I want the, I want my voice. I want the posse to be saying the same thing that I'm saying. I want the parents to be saying the same thing that I'm saying. And I don't want resistance from it because ultimately we want to clean, we want to lean. And that's, it's exhausting in the beginning, but once everybody gets used to it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's lean. We don't, we don't have to fluff it. We can just be direct with each other and it works. It's really interesting because Daryl, a lot of your players that you have, especially the young ones are the same age as some of, of Don's athletes. Yeah. Like Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey. Yeah. No, we're very tight with his parents. Um, I think it's very smart. Do you have a parental Zoom meeting? <laughs> no, but we we did have a uh, we did have our our open practice. We had all the families there, and uh, which was great. Maybe a scheduled Zoom meeting is what we need. But I think what Don's saying it is very smart, and from what I've seen, it is not like she said what a lot of coaches want to do. They they often see the parents as something that can be a problem when 
you, when you embrace them, I think it works better. And yet it is yet another thing, um, you know, Coach Rivers does a nice job with too. So I don't know if you guys spoke about that, but but he's very good about staying connected to the people around our, our key players, which, you know, but I have seen the opposite. I know a lot of uh, men's NCAA coaches and they, they have different terminology like control their airspace and like the only voice they're hearing is ours and there are very successful coaches so it shows there's not just one way to do it but i i definitely like don's i've seen don's way be more successful for sure yeah one thing um don it's i mean it does sound like you have a, a person on your on your team or on your staff who does the analytics and you know we've heard sue bird came on the podcast uh you know maybe the third or fourth podcast and one of the things that she really highlighted to us is the lack of data that's available in the women's game are you like are you aware of all of the data that the men's game has both at the nba and, and collegiate level and i guess the question is more if you could wave a magic wand and say, here's the data that would be most impactful for me that I would want to see, what would that be? I, don't, I wouldn't want too much. You know, I, I don't like I don't want to get inundated with the numbers. Like I, I had we had someone that, you know, his he was doing a, a grad. He was a, he was in grad school and this was the year we won in 2017 and he would you know i would meet with him weekly right and he would give me he would give me okay he would give me what other national team national championship teams look like right you know they're great free throw shooters um they shoot a, a pretty decent you know field goal percentage you know they are a, a three-point threat like he gave me all of these things and i'm looking at like we're, we're shooting like we're shooting like 67% from the free throw line, right? We're like, we're in the 40s. I was like, I, I get it, but we're not going to reach those numbers. Like, we're going, we're never going to reach those numbers. Um, and then when we won, he, 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 he put us in the equation, and I was like, but, but he also got pushy. He got pushy with me. Like, seriously, he was like, there's like no way that you can lose if this, this, or this happened. <laughs> And I'm like, yes, but if we don't put the ball in the hole, we're not going to win. I like the analytics part of it just to to guide to guide us. Like I like to know, you know, how successful we are when we work through our bigs. Like I would like that. I would like to know how unsuccessful we, we are when our, our best player doesn't touch the ball. I would like for to know, like, if – Take for instance, if, if one of our players who's a who's a um, high volume shooter but very very inefficient, like what could we do to put her in a better position to make more shots? And where? And how? If it's off a of DHO, if it's you know off of a you know high pick and roll, you know some if it's if it's squaring up off her, you know going from left to right, like I would want to know that. I mean, we can look at it, at, we can do the synergy type thing, but synergy doesn't capture all of it. So it's skewed a little bit. So I would like to know that where I can help individual players help themselves and help us and then ultimately put them in a the best possible situation to look great when it comes to their stock in the WNBA draft. 
Well, I can already tell you're a very smart user of data because it's best used to ask questions, not in the other way you were saying, which is like being prescriptive or proscriptive. Uh, is, the, is the person you're talking about still working with you? No, Don? no, I have to no, ask. they're, they're, they're not. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be a little, I, I'm going to be a little harsh. Let's not use he or she's name. Um, generally those studies that are like, here's how other teams have done it. And so therefore how you look, they're very correlated. They're not very predictive and they can lead to a lot of very wrong answers. So your instincts were quite good, I think to be skeptical of that. I'll give an example. It would have said for, you know, and if you ran that in the NBA in 1998, it would said the only way to win, the only, the last people who've won have all slowed the ball down, didn't play in transition, were very slow. Or in 2004, it would said three point shots are worthless. There are different, what it can win, miss is different ways to win. Because all analytics is is looking backwards as how people have won in the past and not really thinking about how things can be different in the future. And so you, I don't know, I was very, I don't want to blow smoke, but I was very impressed by your answer there. You want to use it in ways that can help people get better, right? Because that's your instincts as a coach and just. Yeah, and you always want to just optimize your personnel. Like it's all nice to know how these other teams are won, but they also had different players with different skill sets. And so, anyway, yeah, the, you be skeptical of those high-level studies, like you were. That was smart. Uh, the, I can tell why you're successful. Uh, obviously, know 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 the game. And uh, I had a question specifically though. So, I think what's great is there's been a lot of cross pollinization now, where lots of men are watching the women's game. Lots of women are watching the men's game, which I love. And I'm curious, when you watch the men's game, what is something you see that you guys do that run or how you do things that you go, why don't the men do this? I'm trying to learn something here. <laughs> like, What are some things that you guys do that maybe you see when you watch our game, you, you wonder why, um, why we don't try some of the things you're doing? Oh, that's a great question. I never thought about that. What do we do that that you all could could find helpful i here's probably <laughs> some people are going to like this answer but probably less is more like staff shrinkage like you know i i think it's a luxury at your level where you got a lot of people doing a lot of things um and i, I think it a lot also allows you know your 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 coaches to just work too because they got probably assistance to the assistants when it used to be we we're working with a smaller amount of staff members like our staff has grown um and it has alleviated some of the things that we've had to do but i'm also in the mindset of you know there's nothing there's nothing too too small or big for any of us to do so we it, that just keeps us in a great place to always, we're always looking to to help one another. We're always looking to to you know not not get ahead of ourselves. Um, so maybe maybe that part of it from a from a I guess from a from a basketball perspective, it's 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 hard for me to gauge our our court. I know we play on the same size court, but our court seems a lot bigger to us and a lot smaller to you all. Uh, but but your spacing on the floor is much better. It's it's a weird thing. Like it's 
it's weird. Our, our the women's game is played in like a small space, and your 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 game is played in, you know, in a wider space. Mm-hmm. I I would say, let me ask you this, because pressing, why do you know, why why does it more NBA teams press? So that I love that you asked me that. Can I first address your last answer? So G yes. Lee, I love hiring people out of the G League for very reason. Our our minor league for that very reason. Because I feel like people who are there, they have to take on every job. So they have a much better perspective. If you understand a little bit about everyone's job, you have a much better picture of how everything's working. So I love hiring out of the G League. Um, Pressing. So it's a really good question to, to our discussion earlier about there are different ways to win. The last team to press in the NBA was in 99. Rick Pitino came up and did it with the Celtics in 99. And it actually was very interesting. It was pretty successful. They gave up a very, as you might expect, a very high number of high efficient layups at the basket. But uh, like the problem with people just looking at the team and saying it doesn't work is that 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 wasn't a very talented team. That was Rick, who's a great coach, doing what he thought was best with the personnel to give them the best chance. I think... If you want to take the best reason why it hasn't happened is because probably every player in the, not every player, but it used to be 250 of the NBA players. Now I think it's 325 of our 420 players. They all have pretty high level ball handling and passing skills. And as you know, when you're breaking a press, it takes multiple ball handlers, decision makers. And the NBA floor, generally, we just don't have these one-dimensional Reggie Evans, you know, just rebounders anymore. So that would probably be the best answer. But I would like someone to try it. Like, one of these rebuilding teams should just give it a try. Like, why not? Like, what do you have to lose? You're, you're, you're going for the number one pick anyway. Let's, let's – and I will say this. So a bunch of coaches, including us at times – have added in like some light pressure because it shortens the shot clock. Um, and so that's been something that's been added quite a bit recently. Soccer has gone through a huge re- a revolution on the pressing side, which I don't know if you track international football, but that's gone through a press. So I think your instincts are very good that there may be something there. I love, I love it. Yeah. I'm very instinctual. Like, like, you know, I, I, I have no, like, I have no, I mean, the only coaching experience I have is as a head coach, right? And as a player. So I've never been an assistant coach. I don't, you know, I, I've been an assistant coach on the Olympic level, but not college. Like all of my experiences of coaching is just from instincts as a player. You know, when I first got into coaching, I didn't know what to do in the timeout besides treat it like a huddle. <laughs> I, would, I treat it like a huddle, like I'm the point guard in the huddle. Hey, do this, this, and that. And then I was done. Like, we still got we still got two minutes left in this timeout. And I'm like, I'm done. I, that's, that's all I have. Like, I'll go ahead and discuss whatever you need to discuss. I, I think I'm more of a suit now, a suit coach <laughs> now, because I can fill the timeout up. <laughs> Well, you know, that's why NBA coaches pause for so long before they go to the huddle uh-huh. after a timeout because they know it's only going to be a certain amount of time and they don't want to have that awkward ending yeah. right, where everyone's <laughs> just looking at each other. Um, uh, one of my, my past coaches, he would, he, they would just talk about, 
you know, the weather, you know, for like, <laughs> so sometimes. So anyway. So sorry. do you do you find that, you know, I mean, obviously the, the TV cameras in the huddle at times and I, I, I'm watching the players. I'm not really listening to the call. I'm like watching the players and, you know, some teams are a little bit different than others. Some teams are locked into the coach, you know, some players are just locked in. Some of them are like, oh, okay, well. Basically, you can say what you're going to say, but I'm about to do this. Like, do you have to keep it short in order for them to just focus in on, a, a, you know, smaller, smaller words of, uh, of wisdom? I think, you know, like, you don't want to send them out there with seven things, right? right? You want to keep it to a key message. You know that better than right? I do. <laughs> I would say I, I think both it's great for the game that they have the cameras in the huddles because obviously – job one in the higher pictures for this to be something people want to watch and they're interested. But I don't think the coaches do our, the cameras don't do our coaches a, mm-hmm. a, any favors because they're not allowed to show the strategy. They're only allowed to show when they're being passionate. And so what happens is people will clip those on social media and they'll show like say Doc Rivers, who's a great motivator, they'll show him doing motivational stuff because that doesn't reveal strategy. And they'll go, oh, Doc's just saying play harder, just saying, oh, anyone could say that. Well, yeah, what they've missed is the play he's diagram, the the st- strategy part of it. But the people don't realize that's because they've taken it out of what they show people. So I actually think it's done sort of a disservice for the NBA coaches because they, the people have this perception that, you know, they're, they're just doing these like rah-rah things and that's all they do, which isn't true, as you know. Um, which so I, I've I've been annoyed by the cameras a little bit. <laughs> All right, I want to talk, uh, Don, about how you're using your platform to raise awareness of societal changes that need to happen, and um, kind of inspire others. Just like a, a kind of starting question: Do you feel like you are more outspoken now, or do you feel that you are just being heard more? because of the success of your program or the rise of interest in women's basketball? Well, I, I, I think there's definitely a little bit of, of, of both. Like, you know, I think we, we've been a team that's had sustained success. Um, our platform has grown um, a great deal. I think people are more, more in tune to, to watching women's basketball and are generally, they're interested in it. Um, I, I'm, I'm answering questions, um, mm. to, I'm answering questions like I normally answer. Like if they would have asked me this 10 years ago, I probably would have, I probably would have answered relative to what was happening at the time, but I wasn't being asked that because we weren't winning. We weren't successful in that way. But now that we're successful, um, people want to hear what the most successful team the, the head coach of the most successful team and they just really take that and they run with it good or bad good bad or indifferent um so our platform has grown and because of that i'm heard a little bit more but i don't you know this is how i've been for as long as i've been a coach i don't this is what you see is what you get i don't there's no i'm not putting on for anybody or anything you're, you're asking me for for what's on my heart, I, I give what's on my heart. 
Well, and I think like you are raising awareness about unconscious bias. When you called out ESPN about not inviting Aaliyah Boston to the ESPYs, I was like, I, thank God, that's amazing. Uh, do, like, so, and then obviously she was invited, but was that a question that was asked of you or was that just something you you had to say? Well, no, it wasn't asked. I actually, I actually tweeted something out because it was, it was, she texted me. Yeah. And she texted me and it's basically awesome. said, why, you know, wasn't I? And she was like, can I say something? And I was like, no, let me, let me handle it. You know, <laughs> so I was, I bit the bullet for her and rightfully so. Because, you know, there are there are a lot of people out there that that will side with her that she, that she doesn't have to do the talking. She doesn't have to take the bullet. Um, so once I posted and I didn't have an ongoing conversation with with anybody on on social media, then I, I started receiving text messages and calls about about the reason why she was not invited, you know, but. Listen, if the top player in the country has been invited for as many years, no matter how big the venue is, you make it work. You make it work. You don't shrink the program and say, no, we're not going to invite the men's or the women's collegiate player of the year. This is sports. This is sports. If you're going to, if you're going to have a, a sports show or dinner or gala or whatever, and you are highlighting all sports, then the top people in those sports should be present, even if they're not going on stage. And and if you're gonna tell me, okay, we're gonna find a way to, to bring her after the fact, then there was room in the beginning. But no one in the room is is saying how that's going to look. And therein lies the problem. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I don't mind shedding light on that. I think it's I, I think it's fantastic. And then when you when you canceled your BYU game this year, was that something that was brought to your attention by the players? I mean, from my perspective, hearing what you said at the beginning about inclusivity and hearing and listening to the players, like that's so powerful. It it was to protect them. I just don't want our players to be the ones that are getting hit over the head with it. So I, I take it and I, I just feel like, I just feel like um, if a young person said it happened to them and they have yet to come out to say it didn't happen, they made it up, then we have to honor that. We have to honor that. We have to just respect that. I don't know if we have to honor, we have to respect that. Um, but to drag the young lady's name and I don't even like to bring I don't even like to use her name because I don't want her name to be dragged again into conversations and hopefully it's dying down a little bit for her and her team and hopefully me and our team but if it doesn't um I chose to stand strong on it and I I still I still believe it and I still believe that that I made the right call not to do that now, now the BYU people and fans may think differently, but we have to agree to disagree agreeably on this one. Speaking of a name, I would like to keep on people's mind front and center, Brittany Griner. Um, do you have thoughts on that situation? She's wearing the hat. Yeah, it's it's, it's awful. It says free BG. Oh, I can't. I can't. You're. It's fuzzy. I can't see. <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Awesome. Okay, so yeah, please let us know your perspective, please. Yeah. Yeah. Today was expected bad news. Like um, she had her appeal, um, and her sentence was upheld, and you know now you know the next movement is she's going to penal colony, and and I just you know the moment it happened 250 days ago. Well, actually, we didn't know because it was a there was a time period like a two week period that um, she was she was locked up and detained to when it actually came out. Um, so when it actually came out, I you know I looked up penal colony and and it is the worst. Like you know it it is the worst possible situation. It is the worst possible situation because of where we are and where our, our country stands with Ukraine the Ukraine um in this in the war um against uh, uh russia like it, it could not happen at the worst time so i am empathetic to to what britney's going through what her family's going through i know her and i know her well um so i just want to continue to shed light so we don't forget like we don't forget where she is she's a human being she's a she's a daughter she's a wife um she's in our basketball community and if there's anybody in our basketball community that really understands what we mean to our families um then we should be shouting free bg and doing something um every single day because if it was our family member and it she is she's in our basketball community you know this should be an uproar to get her to come home and i know i again i do know that 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 the president and and all of his people are working but we gotta pray i gotta i gotta pray for russia i gotta pray pray for putin has a change of heart because he's the one that holds the cards in all of this what one last thing that i don't think people understand that you know and jessica knows personally is people are like why is she playing in russia that is one of the very few outlets for women's basketball where pro players can make a living playing pro basketball so the the notion that she could pick among these hundred places and russia was what she chose to me is like also so upsetting that people are trying to use that against her as well yeah i mean she's playing in russia i don't know seven eight years now and you know everybody in the country knows her she's been fairly successful all the you know the the russians that have played with her they spoke on her behalf at her at her trial um so we know it's it's more to it than than what it is. There's much more. I mean, there are much bigger implications that have really nothing to do with Britney. Nothing to do with Britney. So um, if, if people can't find a little bit of kindness, kindness and empathy in their hearts, I, I hope they don't have children. I really do. I hope these people don't have children <laughs> because that's a heartless person. That's a you know, that's a person with a hole in their in their chest. And people often say, well, you know, why don't you speak on people who are here? I mean, you know, get Brittany out. I'm sure she she's going to speak out on, you know, people who are who are wrongly detained in her own country. So, you know, let us let her use her platform. But certainly she is a, a an American legend like she's a legend. She she she. She played for her country twice in the Olympic Games. Like she's an icon that needs to come home. That we need to seek her. Not even that. To aside from all of that, she's a, an American. 
that's locked up abroad yep. in Russia. Like, yep. like those aren't just words, you know, that, that's a, that's, that's, I mean, that, that's a feeling like that's a feeling that you don't want, you don't want that you don't want on your worst enemy to be in that type of situation. It is, it is really, um, amazing how the the women's basketball community in particular also broader basketball has really come together um you know there's many players WNBA players who tweet every day and they count the number of days and that's just raising awareness um especially at this point in time feels like the the only uh one of the only things we can can really do so to change the topic a little bit, Dawn, we're we're kind of closing in a, to the end of the podcast. We have a game. Uh, it's called Bench, Trade, or Tag. So it's our version of Kiss, Date, Mary, but it's not about anything uh, like, you know. So the bench is, or sorry, so trade is the worst. Bench is, you know, the middle. And then tag is the best. And so... We're going to ask you a question. You tell us who you would bench, who you would trade, who you would tag, and why. So we're going to start with best U.S. Olympic basketball team ever. The, I know. The 1996 team that you were the starting point guard on. The 2016 team that I believe Sue and Diana have said is when all the players were in their prime. Or the 2020 team that you were the head coach of? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bench the 2020, right? Yeah. No, I'm going to trade the 2020. Okay. Trade the 2020, bench the 2016. I'm tagging the 1996. <laughs> All right, love it. And I, love and I it. think she she's trading the one that she coached because she's saying she that was the one that needed the most coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a very right. bad. That was that was an opportunity that I had. I got a chance to coach one of my one of my players, Asia Wilson. Yeah, in the Olympic game. So <laughs> I I realized in my research we missed each other in Houston by a few months. I came in April 2016. And you were on the Comets in fifteen sixteen. No, 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 no. I'm much older. Oh, no. No, oh, I was no, no, no. Oh, oh, so, no, no. I came in April of 2006. Okay, yeah. And you yeah. and you were on the 0506 Comets, yes. which, as you know, was the Comets were a legendary yes. uh, team. Of, Tina Thompson was still on that team, right? With, yes. With you and yeah. 0506, yeah. 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 Um, all right. Philadelphia Foods, bench, trade, or tag. Should it not be cheesesteaks? Uh, is it food or cheesesteaks? Wait, well, let me ask this question. <laughs> let me ask it. Cheesesteak, Wawa soft pretzel, or water ice? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trade the cheesesteak because I don't eat meat anymore. Okay. okay, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bench the water ice, Wawa's pretzel tagging. <laughs> it the Wawa, the Wawa pretzel I had two last night, which is why I look like I do <laughs> overweight. <laughs> They are the greatest thing you've ever ate. I can't, I can't even describe how good these soft pretzels are. We don't have that down it's, in uh, South Carolina. They don't have it. I don't know why no one else can do a pretzel. I know. But the, I know. Philly, 
the Wawa soft pretzel. So, uh, all right. Daryl, you, you got you got to like overnight her some. I mean, she's asking for some soft pretzels. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, all right, Philadelphia sports teams. Um, again, we, we have we have a wonderful group of students who does these questions. I'm audibling again. Eagles, 76ers, or Phillies? You know, I, <laughs> I, I saw something. I saw somebody post something that I thought was incredibly funny. Um, and it's only Philadelphians. They said we have to sacrifice the Sixers right, right now. <laughs> right now. So the Phillies can win. But the Eagles are playing so well. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm sorry, but I, for right now, because it's the beginning of the season, I have to trade the Sixers. <laughs> I'm going to bench the Eagles because we got time. It's, it's our time right now for the Phillies. So I'm tagging the Phillies. <laughs> I saw that meme, Jessica. It's hilarious. It's basically like this meme where this like the Sixers are being just thrown off the wall, <laughs> and they're like, "Sorry, sorry, it had to be done." <laughs> you know? I send that to my family on my family thread, right? I send that same exact thing. My brother, my oldest brother. We're all from Philly. He said, Sixers who? <laughs> oh, no. It's tough, man. You start one and three, and it, right, goes, right. it goes dark quick. And fill- no, Philadelphia, I love the fans because, like, you, you're only as good as, like, your last game. Like, they, they, they're they on your ass if you're not playing hard or not winning. It's great. I love it. So, All right. Well, I, Don, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um I learned a tremendous amount. We'll do a we'll do a little recap. All right, post game huddle. Here we are. So, Daryl, that was amazing. Now, Dawn, you know, we 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 talked with her. She she has, and it's known that she has no interest in coaching in the NBA or the WNBA because her priority is the the young people. And I mean, she's very inspiring, but. It was fascinating to see your basketball mind and her basketball mind and the the depth and range of things that that you talked about. What was like your biggest learning from from what she from what she's sharing? What I loved is she very intuitively knows how to use data even though that probably wasn't her first expertise. Um, she knew to be skeptical when she should be skeptical. She uh, I, I I wanted her to have a better data person <laughs> for her to work with. <laughs> um, given, I mean, to be fair, she was telling a story, so maybe, maybe uh, whoever she was working with, that wasn't their best moments. But um, look, and her answer on pressing is is really smart. It was one of the first things I remember looking at with Mike Zarin at the Celtics uh, when we were looking for different things that teams were not utilizing correctly and the fact that she intuitively you know was on something that i still think might be an opportunity at the nba uh for certain teams is was pretty pretty cool i had four main takeaways from the discussion we can come back to the other things that you you learned or that you were impressed by from her basketball mind because it is a very impressive basketball mind but you know the first thing is just how authentic she is her answers to why she's speaking up, it is so connected to the 
being really a player's coach. I mean, I don't even know if it's a coach, just like that's what she cares about is growing these athletes and her concept about being connected around the whole person. That's, I mean, I think all of us aspire to do that with anyone that we work with and, and are trying to mentor. Um, The second thing that I, that really resonated for me was her focus on the individualized um, needs of, of her athletes. And, um, you know, I think she obviously knows the nuances of each of the players on her team. And like, I just keep thinking, how can she get those concepts out of her mind so that it's shared across her, her um, whole staff? And I'm sure she has ways because it, it seems like that is just who she is. And then the, the last comment that I, that I thought was just so fascinating and I had never thought about it was she said that the women's game, it's played on the same court, but that the women play it in a smaller space. That, that was just, that was fascinating to me. I never thought about the spacing that women have versus what men, the men maybe are required to have. Was, what did, did well, the spacing was interesting. And then I'll say the thing I was most impressed with, which was a lot, but the spacing so the men's game has become a way more spaced out game. Uh, I I don't consider myself to be an expert on women's basketball. I do think there are some fundamental differences with with how it's played. Um, but it sounds like basically the men's game has become where literally every person on the floor is multi multi tool, uh, and each they all can put pressure on the defense. And so the spacing is basically required for that. I don't know if the women's game still has specialists because the men's game used to, even as recently as 10 years ago, uh, had a lot of like le- you know more def- defense-only type players, whereas the NBA has become more of a two-way game where you can't really hide bad defenders and you can't really hide bad offensive players without getting punished greatly. And so that plays into the spacing uh, as well. And my my favorite answer by her is by far, because I love people who challenge orthodoxy, is I always thought it sounded crazy because I meet with a lot of NCAA coaches and they all, almost all of them consider the people around the players and the family, they don't say they're the enemy, but they don't bring them into the fold. They're, they talk about trying to control their mind share and keep all the distractions away, whereas Dawn is sort of embracing these people and almost like bringing, you know, helping them be people who message positive team things through the family so it's not just always her voice. I thought that's incredibly smart. And, and look, you know, I don't know her history to know the key elements of why she's successful but you can tell that there's a big plan behind everything she does and that's why she's successful yeah she she was fantastic and and obviously one of the best coaches that there is in the sport of basketball period and she is having influence so much not only in success and winning uh but again more broadly uh what how she is sticking up for her players how she is supporting Brittany I mean that was so authentic um and 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 valuable and I I just kept thinking oh man 
what else could we be doing? So I think we'll have to think about that for, for Sloan this year. I think some of the best coaches are like her, reluctant. They're reluctant coaches. You know, you can tell yep. that her passions come from making a difference in the world and with these young folks. And I, I think that is a great foundation to become a great coach. Um, so I, I was impressed by that as well. Yeah, it was it was it was fun. Uh, again, these powerhouse basketball minds talking talking hoops. You mean it was yours, great. Yours and hers. <laughs> so. No, I was I get more impe- impressed with types of questions that you are asking her, and you are understanding the nuances of the women's game, and um, you know we'll just have to get you out to see more of them. I didn't get a chance so. to say it, but the women, I think they run really interesting plays, um, and. With the men's game, it's become less of a play, you know, plays because they're easier to scout and easier to take away the options in a short shot clock, especially, which is now the same, I believe, or yeah, it's the same except it's a little bit, it's thirty seconds. Um, or wait, am I wrong? Is women? It's playing? thirty seconds. It's thirty. No, yeah, it's they, thirty. They harmonize it. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, so our shorter shot clock makes it. We we run more sets with options versus any sort of plays when i watch the women's game i'm always impressed by some of the intricacies of the execution and i think it's uh it feels better than the men's game i I don't have any data but if from watching it does i agree it's a great game to watch all right all right Data, 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 data.